The big challenge is this. How are investors like us, who are not backed by a billion dollar hedge fund, who are investing money from our own pockets, how do we buy, sell, and invest in the properties we believe in, yet still make a profit without risking all of our own money? That is the challenge. In this podcast, we'll give you the answers. My name is Nate Armstrong, and welcome to the Social Media Blueprint. Hey, folks. Great to have everybody joining us today. We are so excited to welcome you to this next episode of the Social Media Blueprint podcast. And today we are super excited to have a fantastic real estate investor that's going to bring you tons and tons of nuggets of great information on real estate investing. And that is Mr. Mike Fritz. And so everybody welcome Mike to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, both of you, Chris and Nate, thank you so much for having me today. It's an honor to be able to, uh, to talk real estate. Anytime I get to talk real estate, it's a good day. <laughs> it's exciting, right? <laughs> I love it. And with Chris's introduction, uh, Mike, you got a lot to live up to here. The social oh, I don't know that I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to, but I'll do everything I can. You <laughs> will do it. You will do it. And if not, then uh, we'll just have people post in the, in the notes to. That's right. Just, just, just hit end all meeting anytime. <laughs> yeah. I'm not done. Not living up to it. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just cut this off. <laughs> that's right. It's voting season. That's how that's, they're going to be voting. Yeah, right? that's right. It's just like survivor. It's a different version. <laughs> <laughs> off the Island. That's right. <laughs> that's right. No, you're going to be great. And we're, we're really, really excited to have you here. So thanks for joining us. Appreciate it's it. Such a pleasure. And, and as and as everybody here in the SMB family can see, like we're we're all friends here. So um, Chris, longtime real estate investor and good friend, and then Mike also he's become a quick, really good friend through a mutual acquaintance, and um, we get to have fun here. So we'll poke some jabs, but at the goal of this, we're going to make sure that you get some really good nuggets out of this. Um, and the reason that that I asked if Chris and Mike could all kind of pull this together is because Mike is doing something in commercial real estate that everybody needs to see. And um, I've, I've watched a lot of commercial investors over the years do things, but the way that Mike approaches things is so common sense that when I saw one of his deals come through, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, why am I not doing that? And I thought, gosh, this guy, Mike Fritz, we need to show him to our current real estate students. We need to show people what he's doing. So those that have interest in commercial can see someone that's doing this business in a very authentic way, uh, making deals happen, like really, really good. So I thank you guys both again for coming. Appreciate it. So honored to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun. One thing you said there though, Nate, made me think this is only going to work. What Mike's going to talk to us about today is only going to work uh, in the next downturn, right? It, It won't work at the top of the market that we're in right now, correct? Yeah, we'll let Mike answer. <laughs> <laughs> I hope everybody caught my sarcasm there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chris is starting off hot, man. He's uh, he's <laughs> coming in. Hot. He's coming. He's starting it up already. Yeah, you know that if if you if you watch the news and you read some of the blog articles, you will pause. And a lot of times in multifamily real estate, they're calling this the Seinfeld episode because Seinfeld was an episode about nothing, right? But it, but it took over the world. And they're calling this kind of the nothing phase of, of multifamily real estate. There's not much happening. And uh, that not much happening, we're under three contracts currently. And in multifamily, that's a lot of uh, letters of intent to have out there at any one time. And so um, and commercial is not like flipping where you do you can do five or six a month or that's it's not it's just not that way. And uh, but I'll tell you, that is not that is just 
So we need to turn off the news and turn on the action because I'm telling you what, it'll <laughs> it's such yeah, there's a not not a lot of good stuff out there. Yeah, that that's in all areas, right? I mean, that that news, if we're not careful, can really bog down our mind, not only in real estate, but everywhere. So that's sure great can. advice right there. Sure can, yeah. For sure. So, Mike, before we get too deep into things, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, what your background is and how you got your start yeah. in real So, I went on my first date in sixth grade and I asked a girl to recess and uh, uh, against her better judgment, she said yes. Um, and I used the worst pickup line ever. I walked up to her in the middle of the hallway and I leaned into her and I just went, I've noticed you. And she's like, you are a creepy, creepy man. <laughs> but she agreed to go to that recess uh, with me. And uh, I have currently been married to her for 19 years. And, um, oh, this, and this is a real, this is your, oh, wow. wow. <laughs> real story, real story. And uh, uh, this is not just a punchline joke. Uh, yeah, I've been married to this woman for 19 years. She's changed my entire life and she's my best friend in the entire world. But the, uh, so we were high school sweethearts. We literally did start dating in sixth grade, uh, whatever that looks like. And then uh, we're together on and off again, off again, and then start dating again. We were in uh, uh, sophomores in high school, never broke up, ended up getting married at age 20. And the reason I tell that story is that story has a lot to do with my start in real estate. Because when I was 19, before I was married, I owned a cons I started a construction business. I was a licensed contractor. And um, I asked my mom and dad to help me get a loan. And they helped me get a loan. And on nights and weekends, I built a duplex. Oh. On nights and weekends, I was 19 years old. And I built a duplex and my wife, you know, my soon-to-be wife helped me. And then we, we rented a little apartment for... Uh, seven months while we finished the house. Uh, so we got married in the middle of that project. And then, and then uh, I finished that duplex. But what that allowed us to do is I built that duplex for $129,000. And I, we lived in half of it and rented the other half out. We call that house hacking. And uh, we lived for about a hundred bucks a month uh, in a brand new place when we first got married. And, um, and so That's I got right. my taste of real estate. Now, I, I, I will say I cannot take credit for this because this was my mom and dad growing up. My mom, I grew up in this little farmhouse, kind of quasi city. It was just outside of a really small town in this farmhouse. But on this farmhouse property was a little single family home that came with the property. It was about 450 square foot one bedroom house. It was a tiny little postage stamp house. But what that did, my I watched my parents rent that little house out and it paid for almost their entire mortgage. And so growing up, I watched them do this. I'm like, that's a pretty cool concept. I think that I could replicate that. 19, I have no credit, no money. So I have to have somebody help me get the loan. So I go to my parents and I'm like, I think I can replicate that. I know how to do all the construction work and build the house. And so I did, I built the whole thing and, and then we moved in and, uh, and, and that was 20, I turned 40 this year. That was exactly 21 years ago when I moved, or I'm sorry, 20 years ago, I moved in when I was 20 into that, that duplex. And uh, we lived in that for three years and sold it and made about, what do we make? About $50,000 on that project. We sold it for $184,000 and, uh, and it, it made real estate really attractive. <laughs> well, I would imagine. So you lived for about a hundred dollars a month. Can you brand imagine new. that, everybody? A hundred dollars a month to to be able to live in a brand new place, and then uh, to cash out with fifty thousand dollars. How many years later? Uh, three years later, and I would tell everybody. I would tell everybody that is a great way. Young twenties. That's a great way to start in real estate. Buy a little multifamily, a duplex or something. Live in one side of it. Um, I understand as families start growing, that might be a little bit constrictive. 
Um, but moving that, limit your expenses and whatever you would pay a, a rental payment, put into an, a bank account, just like you're paying a mortgage and let that build up and then buy your next rental property. And you That's watch great. your wealth grow. I'm telling you, it's one of the greatest. If I could go back to my 15 year old self, I would say, uh, don't just do one, do like five, do as many as you can do. Cause that's a great way to start. You know what I mean? That's terrific. I mean, imagine that if you could taking that advice right there, live on a hundred dollars, if rents on average, a thousand bucks, which is pretty low rent for a lot of places yeah, now, it uh, is sure. Sock $900 a month away. That's, that's right. That's, that's over, that's over $10,000 a year you're saving up. And in a year, you could, there's a, I mean, if there's anybody who knows how much real estate you can get for 10,000 bucks, it's Nate Armstrong <laughs> and his, some of the deals he does. Right. And so, yeah, absolutely. What good advice. That's really great. So, so how did that snowball into, yeah. so you, you make $50,000. How does that snowball into your next deals, your future deals? So this is going to be, this is going to be interesting because there's going to be a big gap. So the reason I sold that project in three years is I, uh, I felt called a ministry and I went to Bible college. And so I went to be a pastor. And so I was a pastor for about seven years till I was about 31, actually about eight years. Uh, so I got my bachelor's and master's degree, sold both my properties. I had two properties at that point and I sold them both. And that paid for about half of my college education. And so I put that towards my college education and uh, went and got, went to school and became, I was a pastor for about seven or eight years. And that parlayed into a speaking uh, ministry and then into a speaking uh, business where I traveled for the last eight or nine years, uh, 10, nope, eight years, eight years for the last eight years. I've been full-time on the road speaking. Um, and so, but in 2012, my wife and I, we had no real estate and by the way, no money in 2012. Um, and so zero money, we were pretty much broke. And uh, so we bought a house, um, a, a duplex and we house hacked again. And um, so I owned a property and I was house hacking, same exact thing. That one actually paid, that was $70 a month. I lived in that one. Nice. Um, and so it was really low. And uh, so we house hacked again. And then um, my aunt, uh, one of my aunts got in some tax trouble and wanted to sell off one of her duplexes. And so um, I, I, I asked my, uh, I think my parents even back, no, oh, we were able to get that one. We ended up getting that project. They might've even helped us with that loan. I can't remember. Um, but uh, we got that project under contract. And so we had four units and then my wife was uh, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad one day and I was taking a nap and she woke me up. She said, hey, we have to buy more real estate. She goes, I just found one online on Craigslist. Let's go look at it. And uh, so I'm like, all right, let's go look at it. So we went and looked at this. It was a three unit and uh, we ended up buying that three unit on seller financing. And so then we had seven units and it began it, and that started off a journey to um uh, uh, that I could never have architected. I had no idea God had all this in plan and uh, all that in his plan. And so now, you know, multiple, you know, hundreds of units and we're, we're having a blast. So, I, so if I could go yeah, ahead, Nate, sorry. I was just going to say now, now I understand why this sentiment about your wife is so important. Like you have a spouse that is really, really supportive, not even oh, supportive, unbelievable. She's a driver. I mean, she's the oh. one picking you up to go go look at properties. That's exactly right. She is every day. So my wife is a, uh, she has her PhD in 
um, quantum physics from a natural health perspective. So she's not a dumb girl, that's for sure. And so, but she helps people on her health, but every day and she's running a business that she doesn't even live in the same state and she flies back, sees patients and very, very successful businesswoman. But I can tell you one thing about her is every single day she wants to know about every single deal I'm working on, every single thing I'm doing because she loves to be in it. And I would, there is no way in this universe I would be where I'm at today without her support and her, her, because in many ways it wasn't support. I was supporting her in some days and she was supporting me on other days. It wasn't just Mike out there, Lone Ranger. And it, that wasn't it. Cause like I say, she wakes me up. She's found as many deals as I have that we've done. Um, and so, and so it's been a, it's been an amazing, that's why I tell, I start, my story starts in sixth grade. That's why I tell that story. Cause she is really a, she is a huge part of what we do. Chris, what do you think next time awesome. we interview her? I, yeah, yeah, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> she, she, she'd be a good one. She, she, yeah, you know, I, she, she, people ask her all the time, how do you work four days a month and run an entire practice? And I tell her, I'm like, hon, you have to start coaching people on how you do yeah. this because <laughs> she doesn't, she's really good at it. That's exactly right. That's a, that's a skill in and of itself for sure. It is. It is. It sure so, is. I want to back up because you said something there. One of, one of the questions I was going to ask you was, you know, how has real estate changed your world? You know, mm. but, um, but I think maybe I'm getting a little bit of a picture of it because just in my mind, as you were telling your story and everything, I, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, you get that first duplex, maybe the first couple of properties that you have, yep. you sell those to go into the ministry. To me, it is, it's an amazing thing to look at our lives and see how uh, God or, you know, for, for those of you that might believe in whatever higher power, how that higher power helps us. In my case, God, your case is God, how that, higher power helps us to help him further. Mm. Oh, totally. The cause, right. Totally. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I love real estate the most. My, I started off my speaking and full-time speaking in the Christian world where I was speaking at camps and all around youth uh, students that were 12 to 18. And um, I start, all my speaking was there. Well, my ultimate goal was to make enough money in real estate so I could speak at those places for free and they could use my speaking fees for scholarship for kids. Um, That was my ultimate goal is I wanted, um, I wanted to be able to do whatever I, I wanted to be able to speak and, and, and impact people where I didn't have to burden them with an honorarium or a fee and they could use that to help more people because I I didn't need it. And, um, and real estate has allowed me to do that. And uh, that blesses my heart a lot. That's amazing. You know, that's one of the things I loved about joining Social Media Blueprint and and Nate is that uh, he's very cause uh, mm. driven and everything. Yes, it sounds he like is. you are as well. So that's awesome. Yep. yep. Absolutely. Awesome. No, absolutely. Very cool. So, okay, let's let's dive back into real estate a little bit. Um, so you've now since 2012, it sounds like uh, you've been back in the real estate uh, in the real estate world uh, full time. Yep. Sounds like. Yep. Yep. Full time. So, and, and but before you go on, I just want to mention that full time for me, uh, start of real estate started when COVID hit this year. And most people think, assume because I have a lot of units and because of what I do that I, I've been doing this full time a long time. I was a full time speaker in March when my industry got taken away, and um, and so a lot of people don't know it happened this quickly for me. And when I switched over to full time real estate, that's when I launched. I wanted to start helping people get into multifamily because that's really what I've invested in pretty much my whole life. Um, kind of by accident, not because I wanted a house hack. That's how I got into multifamily because I needed to be living part of it. I can't find single families that'll just let me live in one room. That's too creepy, apparently. Um, and so <laughs> and your uh, wife might not like that. Yeah, either. and my wife wouldn't do that. Yeah, she, she don't want to do that. And uh, so, but 
but I say that to say a lot of people feel like, oh, he must've been doing this for years. That's not true. I started as a response to COVID um, to go into full-time real estate. So that's hundreds awesome. of units um, part-time, like how much part-time to get to the level you're yeah, at? Yeah. So, so that was, that was uh, part-time. I would say, so real estate was always, all my speaking money, our goal was the rich dad model. We wanted to live off our real estate. And um, all of my speaking and all of Leanne's business, we wanted all to just be buying property. All of that money, we wanted to be acquiring real estate so that we could, and we wanted to earn enough to live off our real estate. Well, last year we crossed that number. Um, I I acquired a 23 unit portfolio in um, of duplexes in three units in Indiana. Um, by the way, zero down seller financing. Um, and, uh, I got into that entire deal, a million dollar deal, that deal right there pushed us over the edge to full financial freedom, uh, that happened last year and that specific deal. So that full financial freedom for me is expenses times two. That's just my formula, whatever it costs me to live. If my expenses are five grand a month, then I want my real estate to be bringing in that times two. And that's my freedom number. That's just how I come up with it. It just gives me enough room for if anything tweaks or goes wrong or, you know, tires blow out, everything's free and clear and I'm good. And I can still go and travel and do my passion. And so we crossed that last year and uh, with that portfolio. And now uh, fast forward, you know, now we're doing deals that are, you know, if I'm underwriting a deal in Dallas right now that we're really, really close, that's 227 units, one building. Uh, Well, one, I'm sorry, one complex, one apartment complex, Um, you know, from a, you know, a $50,000 duplex to a $15 million deal um, because of, COVID. So when people tell me, you know, COVID is the worst year ever, I just think that's not true. <laughs> I just so, think that it's actually been the best year of my life. So at the height of the market, the high, you know, everybody, because everybody, you talk to a lot of people and they're, they're like 2020, even 2019, you know, we're, we're at the top of the market. Everybody uh, before COVID, I was even hearing a lot of uh, people talk about how, oh, we're at the height, we're, we're heading yep. toward some kind of a, downturn and all that kind of stuff. So at the height of the market, you're sitting here doing these, these really big deals and everything. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that the, the, when people say that, you know, there's less, I, I would, I'm not going to act like the deals are as plentiful as they were last year, especially in commercial people are waiting to see what happens. I do believe that, but part of what's creating the commercial freeze is the actual, uh, um, moratorium on evictions actually. And the reason I say that is because people are trying to wait to see where it all, once they finally empty out the tenants that aren't paying or can't pay and they release it up, then they're going to start moving again. That's actually what's paused the market. But when people see that, they think it's paused all the market. That's actually not true. Here's the thing, the top of the market. So what if the, if the seller makes a lot of money, I hope they do. I just need to make sure the deal works for my numbers so that's why when people are like, I can't buy at the top of the market, you're not going to make any money. I'm like, no, you have to look for deals where the numbers make sense for you. But I hope the seller does make a lot of money. That's what this is about. I hope everybody wins. And so my goal isn't to get them down so much where they hardly make anything and I make all the profit. That, that's not a win-win. And so when people say the top of the market, that's a seller's market. To me, all that means when it says it's a seller's market is I'm going to be seeing really, really great properties. I may not see great deals yet, but I'll keep working until I sift through. So what I always say is in markets like this, I have to underwrite more properties. I have to look at more, but I still find properties to buy. It's just not, That's I awesome. just, you know what I mean? 
That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and a great way to look at it because, you know, everybody has their different criteria just because uh, somebody wants full price. Well, what's full price for someone? Yeah, you know, exactly. It's, it's whatever, exactly. whatever people dictate it to be. So, yep, that's exactly. awesome. Do you mind giving us a glimpse of what uh, this, the kind of the structure of your Dallas deal is going to look like? I mean, for instance, you mentioned your 23 units yep. uh, was no money down and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Can you give us a glimpse so, of what Dallas looks like? Yeah, so the Dallas deal looked like fifty. They they offer they came to us with a fifteen point one offer, um, and this sometimes is good when it's off market, and so um, that's those are really good. Like people that are looking on CoStar or LoopNet, which are two of our really big search engines for commercial. Um, if they're on, it's just like the MLS. If they're on the MLS, everybody has access to it. So you know the best deals aren't found; they're created, right? And so, um, and so it's the same in multifamily. So this one came to me through what we call a, like a, some, some people call it a daisy chain. I knew a wholesaler who knew a broker who everybody's going to make a little money until the property gets to me. And so we underwrote it. And so at 14, and we, we ended up getting them to a $14.9 million price and they agreed to that. And then uh, we underwrote it. And so with the 14.9, you can pretty much guarantee you're going to have to raise, you're going to have to come up with, as long as you get a bank to finance the project, um, you're going to have to come up with about a third of the money. And that's right now 25% down. And then the rest of that 5% goes towards fees um, and closing costs and inspections and appraisals and all that kind of stuff. So we're probably going to have to raise around $5 million close to it. And so I'll have to go to investors and raise $5 million. And so um, I'll, I call up my investors and I start at that point. It's the same as um, it's not really, I don't like to call it sales, but you're connecting with your network and seeing who wants in on the opportunity right now is a good money is actually coming a lot easier right now. The deals are because people, uh, everybody knows the stock market's being held up by splintered stilts. We don't know when it's coming down. Right. And, um, and so people are kind of maybe saying, I'm going to move out of this and move it into something a little bit more secure. And when we looked in 2008, 2009, we saw multifamily weather that storm the best, not in value, but in cash flow. Um, I mean, values tanked just like everything else, but people were able to hold their cash flows throughout that time. Rents might, and even rents went up a little bit because people lost their homes. It created a higher supply of renters. So that Dallas deal, yeah, found through a broker off market. Um, and then we, we underwrote the project and it usually yields anywhere from an eight to a 9% cash on cash return. And then we give most of that to our investors. We take 30%, we give 70% to our investors. And the way we structure a deal, and this is the way I've been able to, to grow my investor base, is we increase the value of the building. We refinance all those investors' money out, give their money back, and then allow them to still have equity in the deal. And that's what separates us from the rest of a lot of the investors. When that refinance happens, a lot of times investors that's where the investors, they don't get any equity in the deal after that because they don't have any money in it. But we give them an infinite return after that, which means they want to invest with us again and again and again. So when we refi that money out, they're like, well, I don't want it. Go put it into another deal. And because, because they still are making money from the deal, they have no money in now. Yeah. And that's what's really helped us grow quickly because investors aren't hearing that sales pitch very often. No, that's... Awesome. On that on that 30% that you mentioned, are there additional fees or anything like that? Or how do you position it? Because obviously you're good at raising capital. Right. Um, you 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 have to make the the other party feel like they're safe, they're secure, they're winning. Um, yes. 
when I've raised capital before, a lot of times they would say, well, you know, if you're getting fees over here, then I might not, your interests aren't aligned with me. Like how, what are the details of you aligning interests with investors to do that? Yeah, sure. So anytime, so uh, there's a fee inside of, uh, there's three fees that we get paid as, as a multifamily syndicator. Let's use that word. If you don't know that word, it's just anytime you raise capital to do a bigger deal than you could do on your own. Um, and syndication has more to do with a legal process than anything else, but it's just raising money. So we get paid three ways. We get paid on an acquisition fee, and that's anywhere from two to 4% of the sale price. So if I raise, let's just keep it easy at a million dollars. If it's 2%, I get, I, for put, finding the deal and raising the money, I would make anywhere from twenty to $40,000, two to 4%. The more experienced operators, the guys that have 2,000 units, they're closer to four. The people that are under 1,000, under 500, they're closer to two. And so, so you can scale that acquisition fee depending on how many units you have and the experience you have in the business. Um, and so that's, that's one thing. The second fee you can do is an asset management fee. And that's usually 2% of gross rents. So let's say it's making $100,000 a year. Let's just say $2,000 a year. You get paid to manage the property manager. So the property manager, they're managing the asset. Let's say, you know, a stove breaks and it sparks something and the wiring all goes on the property and it needs new wiring. That's never happened to me. I just made that up. But the property manager has to call somebody to make sure that's okay and tell them what happened. Well, who do they call? They're not calling your investors. They're calling you as the operator and you get paid a fee for fielding that uh, communication. And so, and just checking, like I, I take my, I, I, I uh, meet with my property managers every single week. That's why when you go into one city, by the way, it's really good to stay there and invest for a while. Cause you can deal with, you can work with one property management company and have one point of contact rather than two, three, five, ten. 10, uh, by the way. But anyway, um, so then I'll call those property managers. There's an asset management fee. And then the third one is there's a disposition fee, they call it. And that fee is if you sell or refinance the property after you've forced appreciated the building, you sell or refinance, you can get paid a two to 4% fee on the back end of that for creating and dealing with and feeling all fielding that whole process, working with the banks to refinance or, or uh, selling it and working with the brokers to list it and connect with them. And you can get a fee on the back end. So those are the three fees. And the way I explain that to the investor is there's one number that matters to you and that's cash on your cash. That's making a return on your investment. If I can get this number here, would you be happy? And the point is I'm making sure that I want to know what their number is. Because some of them don't, they don't need a commitment of a 9% guaranteed return. Some of them are making four and a half or 5% in the stock market. And they're like, listen, if I could make six or seven, I'd be happy on day one. And we do, we, I never take a deal. I should say never, but rarely do I take a deal where my investors are making below six. Um, sometimes I do if, if we're fixing it up and there's a lot of renovations and it'll increase the value quickly. But, um, but yeah, so those are the three fees that we, that we talk about. We're very clear on those. We let people know. Um, right away um, so that they know, because here's the thing. Um, I let them know that helps me keep the lights on as I raise money and find deals. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I just let them know it's the same thing. You know, I know in your, um, um, in your business, Nate, you are really open with the sellers on your profit. It's the same thing with us. Um, I'm, I let our, our investors are our, kind of our sellers, if you will. I let them know, Hey, this is what I'm making. And that keeps my team funded in order to continue to find more deals for you and your your, your network. That's Beautiful. great. 
So you, so you have those three fees in addition to your 30% ownership. That's correct. And that's the scale, right? That's the scale. The scale is that you still own equity, but your fees, I always say the equity is your, is your icing, the fees are your cake because the fees are what really keep you going as a business. In fact, most syndicators, they really, fees are what, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the equity, that's what scales your wealth. Mm-hmm. Fees are what pay your bills. Awesome. And so that's what that's what keeps the bills paid as you do your business. Because um, one of the things I the, the error I made early on was I didn't charge a fee. I'm just like I, I'm just so thankful people are investing with me. I'm charging no fee. Yeah. And then I then I hired a mentor that gave me a light slap on the on the wrist and said, "Dude, you can't you can't scale a business that way. You can't st- you have to because if you buy a property, let's say a million dollar property, it's generating ten grand a month." Once you pay everything out, you might be making a few hundred dollars a month. You can't scale that at fast enough to really, really feel that as a business. You have to be charging those fees to pay your bills. You and mean so, a mentor? Yeah, a mentor helped you make profit, Mike? Yeah. You know, it's the first time in history it's ever happened. Yes. <laughs> yes. I know your your feeling and Chris's feeling on mentorship, but let's oh. let's hit this for just a minute here. Like um, mentoring, like I, thinking when you said that. I actually did about 200 or so wholesale deals and I didn't have a mentor looking at my bottom line profit. They taught me how to get deals, but they didn't look at the bottom line. I switched to a different mentor and the mentor, the first thing he wanted to do was go through my, my books. And he said, Hey Nate, you're averaging just over 5,000 per wholesale deal. You're making more flips, but wholesale deals just over five. Why are you doing this for so little? And I'm, and I'm like, well, you know, at the time I'm like five grand is pretty good. If I can just, you know, assign a contract, it, that's, that's really good. And he's like, but your operating costs and your time is worth something. He's like, Nate, you really need to double this. And I'm like, that will never work. No way. Like, <laughs> no one's, no one's going to pay double. Well, it took me less than four months. And then I'll fast forward it over the course of like two or three years. We measured the next 391 deals and we averaged profit. All because one person, a mentor took the time to dig in and say, you know what, there's another way you can do this and people will pay it. They will. So absolutely. It's so true. And I think that's, I rewind and listen to that part again, because I'm telling you that even when I was a speaker, that was the biggest thing people had have a hard time with is charging the fee that they're worth, mm-hmm. right? And it's the same thing in whether you're wholesaling or even whether you're raising money for multifamily. Um, your fee, I mean, even for me being at 2% and going to three in my mind, it, it, takes, a, it takes a mind stretch, right? Because I'm like, oh, they're not going to pay it. But it, my, my point is, I, this is what I keep telling myself. If you can't charge 4%, you need to look harder for better deals. That's the way I keep telling myself because it forces me to put in, it forces me to do what I can control uh, because that 4%, I mean, think about it. I get paid two to 4%. I've doubled my profit for zero amount of more work for the same amount of work. Yeah, it's the same. And the same thing with you, Nate. I mean, you double over doubled your profit, same work, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, per deal. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's so true. Yeah. Um, before we jump to another point too, you had a, a beautiful orange building. It was orange. Yeah. Well, tell us about that, man. That's like a, a no brainer deal. Like, but please tell us uh, what does that one look like? How do people, how do people do that? Yeah. Good question. So that deal, um, uh, it's on my YouTube channel. I call it my sexy six unit. 
Um, it was a it was a beautiful, beautiful building. So here's one of the things that I tell people in multifamily real estate. Um, when you're working with real estate agents, you need to build what I, I call a property profile. Now I'm answering your question. I'm starting from scratch. Property profile is you know exactly what kind of building you're looking for. And you give that profile to as many agents in the area as possible. And that's what I did. I said, I'm looking for a multifamily building, 500 to a million. Here's what it needs to be making, blah, 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 blah. And I gave that to seven or eight agents. Well, one of those agents, I got an email one day sitting at my desk, an email comes. And in the subject line, it says, this has your name all over it. And it was this building. I, I drove the property and I made an offer 60 minutes later. Um, I, I knew I wanted that building. You were sleeping but, on that one, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 60 minutes, I made an offer. And here's why I, I tell that quick story is because without that, pro the only way she knew it had my name on it was because I gave her a pro property profile. And that's the one thing I would tell people about multifamily is set up what you're looking for and get that specific thing in as many hands as people as possible. So call as many brokers, say, hey, I'm looking for something 10 to 20 units, 20, you know, anywhere from a million to two million, whatever the number is based on the area you're looking in. Um, so you want to look in an area, by the way, the way you pick an area, you pick an area on three things, jobs, population, and landlord friendly. That's the multifamily trinity. Um, there's just total side note. Jobs, population, and landlord friendly. That's correct. Jobs and, and usually jobs and population are kind of really close cousins because you won't often see job growth without population growth, but you might see population growth without job growth in areas like Florida where there's a lot of retirees going. So you want to just be making sure that you're seeing those two together. That's why like Atlanta is one of the Atlanta, Charlotte, and all of Texas, Atlanta, North Carolina, South Carolina, the Carolinas, Southeast because of lower taxes and high population spikes. That's why we're seeing so many multifamily movers go down there. Wow. So Thanks. that's just a site. That's a side note. But um, that, so, so she had my property profile. So if, all I'm saying is you go into those markets, you call up brokers, give them that profile. What are you looking for? So I did. That came across, I drove it. And in multifamily, they look at it more like a business. It's different than single family. The banks look at it like a business. So if you can increase the income or decrease the expenses, it's called forced appreciation. That's what makes the building worth more money. And so, so when I look at a building, I look at where I can increase the income th through rents or a few other things or decrease the expenses. And if I can do that, I, can, I know it's a good, good deal for me. And I, I buy buildings that I can appreciate the building the same number as the amount of investor capital I need to raise. So let's say I need to raise 200,000 for this deal, the six unit. I needed to raise 200,000. I'm looking at ways I can increase the value 200,000 so I can refinance their money out, give them their money back and then let, leave them equity in the deal, right? So, so I looked at this building and I went there and here's where I found it. I, I looked at their P&L, their profit and loss statement and I saw that they pay for 100% of utilities. And that's why I made the offer within 60 minutes. Because as soon as I transfer those utilities, back to the tenants, it increases the value 200 grand. The owner, just to be clear, the owner was paying those utilities instead of- That's correct. Them. I'm sorry. Yes, Chris. I, that's good, good, good distinction there. The owner was paying 100% of utilities. And when I saw that, I'm like, why in the world would he be doing? And they're all separately metered. I'm like, dude, you are crazy. <laughs> and, so, um, and, and so usually you see that because they're not separately metered and it costs too much money to separate them. Yep. And so, um, 
but when I saw that, I'm like, man, it's separate gas, separate water. So I'm like, oh my gosh, why are you doing this? Well, anyway, I, I did the math and by he was paying 18,000 a year in utilities. Now it was only bringing in 106,000 a year. So that's what 15% of the revenue was going towards utilities. That's crazy. Amazing. And so, and so I found that number and I'm like, that's why I want the building. Cause it's pretty easy. I just transfer the utilities back to their name. Even if we have a tenant changeover, I'll rent it out at the same raise the utilities. The good, the good thing about that is for some reason, tenants respond much more friendly to be paying for their own utilities than they do raised rents. Um, wow. I think because I think people think like they kind of expect to pay their utilities, even if they've, the owner's been paying them, they kind of feel like paying for my own gas that I'm using. Okay. Yeah, I get that. But a raised rent for what? I'm getting no more value out of that. There's a psych switch there that you can raise utilities better that you can get them to pay their own utilities better than you can, can raise rents. But anyway, so I take this building, they, they had it for 780,000. I offered 700. Uh, and here's where my wife comes in again. I offered 700. And uh, they, they countered at 765. So I said, you know, they probably want 750. That's my guess. They want 750. And, um, and I said, I'm just, I, I, and so I was going to offer them what they wanted because it was worth it. And the number still worked. And my wife's like, no, offer 730. Just see what happens. The worst they can say is no. I'm like, sounds good. I offer 730. They took it. So she saved $20,000 just by saying, no, just, just offer this. Right. And so she's, she's a fantastic negotiator, but I'm like, hey, you know what? You're right. So I throw in 730 and they take it. So I put it under contract. And by the way, I had zero, a big goose egg money raised when I put this con property under contract, I had no money raised and I had nobody sitting, waiting for my phone call. No prospect so, for money. <laughs> none. I, I, I was doing this on the sole belief that I would figure it out. And this gets so, back to your faith in God, I think, right here. I, I, it, it does, because I believe, I do believe there is that heart, I, I call it the heart pump. When I step on a property, I can often tell within a few minutes if I'm going to buy that property. I'm like, yeah, I feel, I feel this property. I feel like it's a good, it's a good place. Of course, you know, numbers trump emotions. I'll tell you that much right now, but, but there is something about that heart that I'm just like, I feel it. And man, when I walked this building, Oh my goodness, it was such a gorgeous, the inside looks better than the outside. The inside's stunning. Right. And so, um, so we offer, we, we get it under contract at seven 30. So then the time is to call. So I call up the first guy. He's like, yeah, I'd be interested. Let's hop on a phone call. I'm like, all right, man, I got my first investor. I tell him about it the next day. He tells me no. So I call up my, the second guy and uh, he's like, oh yeah, let's do a phone call. And I'm like, all right, finally, I got somebody. He listens. He tells me no. Uh, I got a call up a third guy who had invested with me before. He funded one of my fix and flips years ago. Um, and uh, he's like, yeah, you know, I'll, let me run the numbers. And he's a doctor. So he's really analytical and he analyzes every little, you know, thing and really litigious. So every contract needs to be really, really, you know, and I rightfully so. But anyway, and uh, he told me, no, these were my three ringers. I'm like, I bet you these three guys will be in. All of them said no. And were, uh, were they giving you reasons? Oh, yeah. So one, all of them were different and very valid. So the first guy okay. was like, no, you know what? I'm in the middle of selling a property. As soon as that sells, I'm ready to invest. Um, in fact, after I raised the money for this project, he came back to me and said, is there still a spot in it? And I had already had it all raised. But, but so he just was saying, listen, it's not the right timing. Most of the time with investors, you bring them a good deal. If they say no, it's because it's a timing issue. They will say yes eventually. Um, gotcha. That's just the case with investors. As long as you continue to maintain. Um, I even keep deals in front of my investors that I have no plan of buying. 
I'm just like, just underwrote this deal. Um, not a great, not a great deal. And this is why we underwrite. This is why I would not put this in front of my investors. It, it not, doesn't perform here, here, and here. But a lot of people are trying to raise money for this. Keep a watch out for, for deals like this. I build use bad deals. I used bad deals to build credibility. Exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Oh. That's awesome. Great advice right there. That's, a, that's, that's a nugget that um, you're not going to get anywhere else. This is no. coming from a, a person that's in the trenches doing this every single day. And th thank you for sharing this blessing with everybody in, in our group. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad. I, I love I love this game. I love what it's done for for the people that I know that, that are doing it or me, for me and my family. And I, I would love to see more people investing in, uh, in, in, in their future. You know what I mean? This, this gives people the freedom to give to their church and give to whatever's passionate to them. And so I'm, I love it. So back to, I, I so I have, I'm, I'm out of my investor list. So, but I, now I'm starting digging up and I'm like, uh, you know, and, and then again, this is why my wife has played such a big role. We're, we're, uh, we're talking one night and she says, Hey, what do you think about? And she named one of our property managers on our other properties. I'm like, I don't know if he has any capital though. And, uh, I learned two things with this interchange. She says, yeah, but you don't know if you don't ask. I'm like, yeah, good, good, good point. I call him up. He invests 50 grand. Now I only need 200. So he invested 25% of the revenue. And two things that I learned from that. Number one, never judge how much money people have. Because you have no clue, especially baby boomers. They have a lot, what I call mattress money. They have a lot of money in a bank account that they just, they just have saved over the years. And they will, in, they will invest, but they still drive 1994 Ford pickups with two gas tanks. Yep. Like I, I'm telling you, don't, don't do that. That's a big error. Of course, we shouldn't be judging people anyway, but it's a big error in raising money is you, you, you don't know the person that drives up in a dirty Corolla just doesn't value cars and you have no idea. And, and I'm telling you, that's probably the biggest mistake new money raisers make in real estate is they make decisions. They, they see somebody's job. Well, you know, he's a mechanic. He probably doesn't have any money. You have no idea if he inherited money or you have no clue. And so we, we assume, oh, they're a doctor. They have money. I know a lot of doctors that live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Um, it's just big paycheck to big paycheck, but they still spend it all and they have no money to invest. And so we have to, that's one of the biggest mistakes new money raisers make is they make an assessment, right? And so based on, oh, I think they have money. So uh, he gave me money and um, I called a couple other people and uh, a pa person from a past life I hadn't talked to in 30 years, not 30 years, I'm only 40, probably 15 years. And, um, and uh, I, I met, met him and he ended up coming in on the deal. And, and now he's actually coming in on another deal. Um, we're actually partnering on another deal. He owns some properties as well. And so it ended up, and I remember when that last finish line investor came in, I'm like, I, I just raised 200,000 for, I, I can't, I can't believe I did this. Right. And, uh, and then, you know, fast forward um, and, uh, and to a $15 million deal where, you know, most of it's raised before we put in the, the letter of intent. And so that, that, that all that comes down to, I will tell you this, you now, one of the things I didn't tell on that six unit, when I put it under contract, I had to give $10,000. So if I didn't raise the money, I lost 10 grand. So there was some incentive or some motivation. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to lose. I don't want to lose 10,000 bucks. You know what I mean? Not that it would have, it certainly would have bankrupted me, but I also don't want to lose money. So, so I was just pushing and pushing and pushing. And so, and then, so that, that, that is a good, uh, that's a good example of a really good multifamily where, most people know enough people to raise a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars, even if they think they could never do that. Most people have a network to do that. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, just today, 
uh, Nate and I in a, in a group that Nate uh, runs is um, we had a client, a member that uh, posted that he was able to to raise some money for one of his projects. And it, this just a few days ago, we were talking about this in, in our uh, forum, our group, and he didn't really have any prospects. And then all of a sudden today, he comes through and says, hey, uh, somebody that he knows is going to gonna put some money toward one of its projects. So yeah, exactly, I man. agree. A lot of people, or, or a lot of us don't feel like we have that kind of a network, but we would be surprised when we start putting some feelers out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I will tell you this. So what, you know, with my, you know, whether it's my podcast or YouTube channel, our whole tagline is find deals, find money. Cause that's really the two places I want you to, to, to people to stay. Um, but what I found is people are usually good at one or the other. They're usually really good at finding deals or really good at finding money. Um, and they usually, the people that are really good at one don't necessarily like the other. And the people that are really good at the other don't necessarily, they, they, I don't know why that's just the people that I've found that work in our programs. They really like one or the other. If you can choose one raise money, (laughs) because let me tell you, uh, if you raise money, you will never be out of a job in the multifamily game. That's the most sought after skill in the game, because if you can have access to capital, Oh my goodness. Uh, first of all, if you have access to capital, um, deals will come to you, first of all, because uh, people will bring good deals. You know, you go to a meetup group, back when we went to meetup groups, you go to a meetup group and say, I raise money. I've got about a couple hundred grand. I'm looking for a couple deals. <laughs> See who they're talking to at the end of that meetup group. Yep. Um, and, and so that's why you start raising money and it changes, changes the game. That's Mike, awesome. Are- are you touching anything besides multi right now in the commercial world, offices, retail space, et cetera? Good question. Um, I hesitate to give this piece of data, but I will anyway, because I care about you people. Uh, I think the trend, uh, because of what's coming, because of COVID, office spaces are going to go down, right? So I think office spaces, so I think one of the biggest trends we're going to see in the next two to three years is people buying office spaces and converting them to apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the, that sexy six unit was that it was an office building oh. converted. Oh, and right next to it is two more office buildings that I just put an offer in on today that we're going to buy and reconvert. And so the answer is yes, but it all mo- moves towards multifamily. So I'm, I'm looking at some other spaces. I actually had somebody send me like some retail space and because I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I just don't know what's going to happen. Industrial space is exploding because there's so much production and, and movement and shipping happening right now. Uh, so I think industrial space is going to be a massively great investment in the commercial world. Me personally, I am investing in some office space, but not for the office space. I'm investing it to convert. Great answer. That's great. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. Cause I, I think that's where we're going to see. I, I mean, this is, I don't have a crystal ball, but I do think we're going to see an interesting trend because something's got to happen to those boxes. What, what's, and they're all going to be in, usually they're going to be in zoning where you can put multifamily. And so I think that's, we're going to see an interesting shift there. Mike, um, what does it look like when someone comes and works with you? Like, we know you're a great teacher, you're a great guy, but what, what does that look like? What's that journey? So, um, and, and you're talking about somebody who wants to learn multifamily, somebody works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I have a, I have a program called the 10 week multi-challenge and, um, the 10 week multi-challenge is, um, I help people get a piece of property in 10 weeks or less. Um, and so, but inside of our program, so the, the, the program's 10 weeks, the first, you know, two weeks, 
we spend, uh, they do a couple calls with me um, to get the foundation. This is what you're looking for. Where's your capital coming from? Do they have a, a I, I just kind of get a picture of their financial picture. If they have money to invest, if they don't, if they don't, we start to get creative of where they can find it um, or tr- start to look for seller finance deals or whatever. Um, and then, uh, so I get a picture of where they're at and start to lay the groundwork. And then they meet with me one week to check in on what they've done that week and reposition for the next week. And the goal is not necessarily to close because sometimes you can't, you can't uh, uh, speed closing, especially with COVID closings taking a long time right now, but getting a property under contract in 10 weeks. And the students that are, that are coming in before the end of the year, I'm allowing them to, to come into the program and do 10 weeks, or I'll stick with you till you get your first property. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, what yeah. just, just for the, just until the end of the year, I won't be able to do that long. We launched the program this year. Uh, it's a brand new program. Literally we launched it in June or July. I think June one was our launch date. Um, and, uh, and students that are there, you know, we have a student getting, uh, just put an LOI in letter of intent on a 39 unit in Texas. We have a student, uh, we have two more students on deals in Texas, we have a student that has a deal in Michigan right now, a student that has a deal in Indiana, all of them, because they, they came in, they just, they, they, they did, as you say, Nate, they had that weird skill of listening and doing. And, uh, but yeah, so that program is 10 weeks long. And, um, and the reason I make it 10 weeks is I've realized that, you know, how, when you're going on vacation, you do all your packing the night before I've realized that people have a deadline. They, uh, they, they, they go a little faster and I understand me saying, I'll stick with you till you get your first property cannibalizes that idea, but I want to make sure people are successful. Um, and I won't have the time. Con- I'll have time constraints long-term, but I want to make sure people get a deal. The, the, the prospect in my mind of 10 weeks to a commercial deal, this is like gold, gold. Um, I, I've done some commercial property in the past, but all of them, like, because I didn't know what I was doing, it took longer and I made mistakes and things like that. So to have somebody guide you through Here's the golden brick road. Let me take you there. 10 weeks. This is money, man. I love it. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, we really just want to, my goal, my ultimate goal is to help 10,000 people create financial freedom through through real estate um, and through multifamily real estate, if that's the, the path that they pr- uh, prefer, because I, I just, I see so many people that life happens to them and I want it to happen from them. And, um, and that's a big difference. And so, yeah, so I, to even be able to be here today and talk about this is time flies when you're having fun, man. You've sold me. That's for sure. I'm sitting here. I, I don't know if you can tell. And I was hoping I was trying not to like let my eyes divert, but I'm sitting here taking tons and tons of notes. And, uh, and I hope everybody that's listening is too, because so many different things we've talked about a lot, but so many different things, uh, have been really, really valuable. In fact, one of the, the biggest questions that I have, one of the takeaways is, um, uh, does your wife uh, hire out for her negotiating skills? <laughs> she, uh, <laughs> That's an entire another business that you yeah. can uh, You'll right have there. to ask her. I've asked her not to, to keep it in-house, but no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. That's yeah, awesome. she's, uh, that's one of the things that anytime I'm like, I need something negotiated, I always ask her, you know, she's just such yeah. a, she has a skill for that. I don't know. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mike, as we, as we begin to wrap things up here and everything, um, can you, I have just a couple of questions and then we'll give you an opportunity to, to share how people can get in touch with you and everything. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. But, but one of, one of my big questions we've talked about a lot, obviously, and, and one of the things that really thoroughly impresses me is 
the speed, the timeline in which you have been able to really ramp up just this year. Um, because a lot of people, uh, you know, in, including myself, you know, it, that's a very, very compressed timeline. And so mm. that's very, very impressive. Um, what one or two things would you credit for just your overall real estate experience? In, in other words, if, if you could direct people to one or two things that would really and truly launch them, uh, what would those two things be? So the reason my program is called the 10-week multi-challenge is because when I hired a mentor, I got a, I got a property under contract in 71 days. And that's wow. why it's called the 10-week multi-challenge. I literally just replicate what I did. I just teach them exactly what I did on day one, two, three, four, up to 70. So the first thing I would say is, is having somebody that has already found all the pitfalls that can tell you, point, them, point you around the pitfalls, a mentor is key. Nate and I talk about this all the time. Um, on my podcast, Nate was, was, was there explaining why you need a mentor. And I'm going to say the same thing. We need a mentor. And, uh, and, and the reason is whether that's me or anybody else, it doesn't have to be me, but I'm telling you, you need somebody that knows how to navigate those pitfalls and knows how to raise money, knows how to, from scratch, if you've never asked a, uh, uh, somebody for a dollar, how do you do that? For example, if you're an engineer, this is what I call, we have to rewrite the narrative of how people know us. If people know you as an engineer, how do you rewrite that narrative so people know you as a real estate investor? And we have to figure a way to rewrite that narrative. And uh, so uh, having a mentor that understands that process of rewriting that narrative, how to build a, uh, an investor perspective, something you can hand somebody. I can tell you, when I first started raising money, I didn't have anything to hand anybody. I walked into a guy's, this cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds, because he is a very wealthy man. I walked into his office, uh, talked about a deal. And he's like, all right, we'll leave your information here. I'm like, oh yeah, I don't have any information. And, uh, and, and, it, and that, that lack of professionalism, when I went into a really professional meeting, cost me lots of money. And it doesn't, listen, you can have a prospectus and a little website built on Fiverr for $100. You don't need, it's not a lot of money, but having it built in a right way that says the right things, um, investors can go and look you up. They don't want to just hand money to somebody they don't know. Now, I understand if somebody's I would also say you don't need to wait to have an entire branding package in order to, to raise money. But um, that's what I will help you do. That's what I want to help you do. So part of it, that speed was I hired a mentor that has 300, he has over $400 million in real estate and 4,500 units. So I wanted, yeah, just started. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But, but here's, here's the key. He started 12 years ago. That's not that long. That's really not that's not that long for that kind of success. And so that's one of the reasons I hired him. I, I put this on my Facebook post, uh, uh, um, I don't know, maybe two, maybe a month ago, but I think the best coaches to hire are actually the ones that, um, that are, are so busy doing it that they have to pause what they're doing in order to build a coaching thing. If people that are just coaching and that's all they do, I'm not as sold on those people. I want to actually walk up to somebody who's so busy buying multifamily real estate and say, can I pay you to stop doing that for a minute and talk to me? Wow. Like that's the kind of mentor I want to hire. I want to go up to the person who's at the closing document, signing on another building and say, I will pay you a thousand dollars to go have lunch with me and I'll pay for your lunch. 
but that's the mentor I want. And so I would say the first thing that, that, that condensed that speed is, is a mentor. And I'm a little naturistic. That's a little naturistic of me. My greatest skill is speed and my greatest weakness is speed. I will do things so quickly that I make a lot of errors, but I'll do them four times and get it corrected and get it ironed out um, by the time that a lot of people will do it once. And that's a lot, that's, it's cost me, a, it, yeah, exactly. It costs me a lot more money to do it that way, but it makes me way more money in the process. So I'm a little nature, that's a little like grinder naturistic in me. Um, but anybody can do that. Anybody can just pick it up and, and get at it, you know. That's awesome. That's not skill. No, that's great. That's really, really great advice. So basically, what, what you've done is you've taken your experience, what you've pulled in from your mentors, you've you put it into a program that anyone can replicate. Anyone can use. Yep. Whether you've bought a piece of real estate yet, um, you want to get into multifamily, it's the way to go. And what all I did is I say, okay, I went back to day one. I have no properties and I have no money. What would I do different? And that's the program has been built around that. This is what I would do knowing what I know now to rewind back and start again. Because if I went back to start again, I'd have, I'd have thousands of units doing what I do now if I did it started at 12, uh, uh, 10 years ago when I started awesome. back into real estate. And so I say that to say that the program was built to really cut that learning curve. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Last question for you. Then we're going to give you a chance to, to let people know how they can get. Yeah. This is kind of a comment question. I was listening to one of your recent uh, podcasts. And um, one of the things that, that um, really caught my attention in it. And I think, I think that this is something that oftentimes goes unnoticed or maybe even not pursued by a lot of people that uh, want to get started in real estate and everything, be it commercial, residential, or whatever. And that mm. is the mindset aspect mm. of things. And so the, the podcast that I was listening to, you referenced uh, Three Feet from Gold, the book, Three Feet from yep. Gold uh, by uh, Greg Reed. And, um, and I had a chance to talk to Greg Reed a number of years ago, right after the book came out. And awesome. I mean, just filled with great information, and everything. So and for those people that don't know, Three Feet from Gold is kind of an extract of or, or a take from. Uh, uh, wow, my mind just left me. Uh, one of the chapters in. Is it the Art Negotiation? Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich. My mind left me. But um, anyway, great, great information and everything. And so you mentioned in your podcast, um, and I'm paraphrasing, that you've got to change your mindset because your mindset creates your environment. And so we need to be able to change our environment because if I just go out and I, and I try to implement a few techniques or tactics or something like that, then it's going to be really, really easy. And I'm throwing my own thoughts in here, but it's gonna be really, really easy to, uh, you know, if that tactic doesn't work or, or right. whatever, it's going to be really, really easy just to follow the next shiny object that comes along. So we've really got to change that mindset. And so I loved how you said we've got to change our environment because our, our mindset changes our environment. Can you, can you yeah. just speak to that for a brief second? Yeah, no, no doubt. So here's what I always say. If you put the, uh, a hammer in the hand of a baby, they're, they're not going to do anything with it. They might lick the handle. They might do it, but they're not going to do much with it. You put it in the hand of a builder and they'll build a house. See, the tools and the strategies are the hammers, but it, 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 it's, it's those strategies, depending on what head they live in, will determine what results they get. 
right? And so when, when you talk about um, any strategy, I don't care if you're talking about multifamily or anything, the same strategies I shared today in a mindset that believes they can do it will. Those strategies in the head that have been, that believes they can't, won't. The mindset actually determines the result. Strategy is just simply what you do. Strategy, and, and I, everybody always wants, I used to be this. I used to call myself a tactic junkie. My wife actually coined that term. Um, I'm like, oh, stop talking about my mindset. Just tell me what to do. What do I need to do next? It comes back to that driver thing in me. Just tell me what to do and I'll go do it. I'll go do it. And what I realized was I kept hitting this, this wall. And I'm like, why in the heck am I working so hard? And I'm not getting past this wall. And then I re- read T. Harv Eker's book, uh, The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, which is one of the best books. I actually bought a copy for one of my friends in real estate um, because it's one of my favorite books that I've read in a long, long time. And it talked about how your, your wealth will match the blueprint of your mind no matter what you do. It'll always match that. So instead of doing more wealthy uh, uh, habits, you actually have to change your blueprint in your brain. I've actually found that strategic thing to, to be true in everything. The quality of the relationship you have with your significant other will match the blueprint in your brain. The quality of your rev with your, your, your numbers of revenue, how many units you have, the quality of relationships in your world, the strength of your business matches the blueprint. So we have to shift that blueprint. So if you've never bought a piece of real estate and, and like nobody in your family has, and you've, you know, come from a primarily people that don't, don't really uh, not home ownership and you've come from that world, you have to shift that blueprint. And there's three ways I talk about shifting that mindset blueprint. Number one, you have to, it's proximity. You have to get close to people that think differently than you do. It's proximity. It's kind of like guilt by association in a good way. Uh, you want to start associating. Dan Kennedy used to say this. And, you know, Dan Kennedy, if you know Dan Kennedy, you know, he didn't really beat around the bush, well, ever. And um, <laughs> He doesn't uh, but, words. <laughs> no, not at all. And Dan Kennedy used to say, while you're growing, you want to be the dumbest person in every room until you run out of rooms. And then Dan, in true Dan fashion, has said, I've pretty much run out of rooms, which that's, that's so perfect coming from Dan Kennedy. Cool. <laughs> and, but, and anybody who knows Dan pretty much understands every successful business person pretty much learned marketing from Dan. So, so he can say that. But my point in saying that is, it was a great point that proximity is putting yourself next to people that have a mindset that is far above your own. So uh, Jim Rohn said, you're the average, you will earn the average of the five people you hang around most. So you look at your network and if you will earn the average of the five people you hang around, well, if you want that to go up, it's a proximity issue. You have to get around people that, that make more and earn more. So one thing is proximity. The second thing is, is a, I, I do it through meditation, but it's, you have to shift the way you approach you. And then you have to shift how you, so for example, the only thing you can do, or the, when you're thinking about yourself, what, what really can you accomplish in this life? The only reference you have is what you have accomplished. And if you reference your future, if you reference your past to determine your future, you're dead in the water today. And so part of that is through meditation is taking a moment and architecting what the future can look like. If you were in, out of the picture, and sometimes I tell people this, okay, so let's say you can't do it. What do you think the person next to you can do? So draw it up and then just put yourself in their place. If, if it's too hard for you to assume that you can do it, then assume somebody else do it, draw up that life, but 
you've got to put the paint picture in, in practice. So if it's a thousand units, if it's, I want to wholesale 20 deals a month, whatever that is, or I want to have a, an amazing marriage. It doesn't matter. We're talking about multifamily today, but all of it comes down to, it has to be architected before it's built. So the first thing is proximity. The second thing is creation. Cause most of us live our life by de- uh, default, not by design. And we want to live, we want to live by design, right? So the second thing is a design that life. And the third thing is, a constant IV drip of information, whether that's through podcasts or through reading, it's a constant, it's really, uh, uh, it's, it's kind of like, we live in a negative world, right? Zig Ziglar used to say this funny line that whether people come on and say there's a 40% chance of rain, why don't they say there's a 60% chance of sun? It's a funny line from Zig, but his point was, we tend to live in a world that approaches things from the negative. Well, because we live in that world every day, we need to kind of wash out our brain. And that brain wash in a good way needs to be washed out with the content that matches the design we just built. And so proximity, design, and IV drip of a brain wash. And those are the three ways you can really shift that blueprint. Wow. Wow. <laughs> this is, we're going to have to break this podcast into two parts, <laughs> real estate, and then, and then how to, uh, how to get our minds going the right way. That's awesome. Absolutely amazing. Really appreciate you. I hope everyone is again, not only just taking notes, but you know, really just starts to implement what, what we're talking about here, what you just shared. Really appreciate that very much. Absolutely. Hey, wow. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we yeah, got a good yeah. one here. We got a gem. Mike, this has been an absolute blessing. And I know Chris has already started to ask about this, but if people want to go on the 10-week journey with you, how do they do it? Yeah, great question. So um, there are two ways. Uh, I You can go to 10, the number 10, week, W-E-E-K, multi.com, 10weekmulti.com. And um, uh, there's a little training you can watch there and you can book a call with me and we'll hop on the phone. Or because you just came through Nate's people, I'm going to give you actually my personal email. It's mike at powerupreelestate.com. Really easy. Mike at powerupreelestate.com. You email me directly, goes past my assistant, and we just I'll just hop on the phone with you and see if you're a great fit for the program. Want to make sure we're a good fit for you, you're a good fit for us, and we can really help you. And you could just shoot me an email, mike at powerupreelestate. Or if you want the training, you're more than welcome to go there and uh, go to 10-week multi, or you can do both. Um, you can do both and, uh, but, but connect with me. I would love to hop on the phone and just see if I can see if our team, um, can, uh, can help you get that next deal. Fantastic. I, uh, I, I just want to say before Chris closes to that, it, it's a blessing to have you as a friend and thank you so much for coming and sharing with the, the people that Chris and I are mentoring right now. We, we appreciate you coming in and just giving from the heart. Thank you so much, Nate. And I, I love what you're doing. I love the team you've built and, uh, and Chris and I just have had a, ch- a chance to meet. And uh, Chris, it's been a pleasure to spend time with you today. And um, you uh, all are doing amazing work. So let's continue to continue to pick up the baton and take it forward together. I, likewise, Mike, so good to meet you. Really, really great to have you on the podcast and, and learn from you and uh, be able to share everything that you've uh, shared with us, with everyone that's... Uh, that's uh, following us and everything, all of our listeners. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Folks. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Folks. 
Thank you all for listening. Um, really and truly go back, listen to this. I, I'm going to have to go back. I, I was taking notes the whole time, but I'm still going to have to go back and listen and, uh, and learn and probably listen again because there's so much here to be able to implement into our lives. Whether you're wanting to do commercial, wanting to do single family or, or a mixture, um, lots and lots of great nuggets here. So again, Mike, thank you. Nate, thank you very much for letting me uh, be a part of all this. And uh, everyone... We'll see you on the next deal. Talk to you soon.